Hey there, everybody, culture listeners from around the world. Uh, this is the newest podcast from the Italian Football Daily Podcast. You're here listening with Joe Soracco at Joe Antonio C. And alongside me is my colleague and friend, Matt Santangelo, as you know him from Twitter as uh, at Matt underscore Santangelo. On this week's podcast, we're going to be talking recap of this past weekend's Serie A fixtures, as well as uh, today's Champions League and Europa League draws, what will be in store for the six Italian teams in Europe. And um, towards the end, we will talk about a little bit of Sebastian Jovinko, the new MLS Cup champion. I had the privilege to cover the game live from BMO Field for Italian Football Daily, and I'll be talking a little bit about that uh, later on in the broadcast. Uh, Italian Football Daily Broadcast with Joe Sirocco and Matt Santangelo. Matt, how are you doing? Joe, pleasure to, ha- pleasure to be talking with you. How are you doing today? Uh, doing well. Um, we had a big victory parade today in Toronto for our uh, our team. Uh, I wasn't there. I was able to attend personally, but just seeing the images and seeing um, the reaction from our city and from the fans who have been suffering for a long time, it's just great to see, and it's great to see championship, uh, championships back here in the city of Toronto. We've we had that kind of reputation of being the city of losers for a while, and it all started off with our uh, compatriot Sebastian Jovinko coming in in 2015, and uh, good for him as well, being an outcast from Juve. Uh, I was happy for him to see him finally lift a trophy that he he deserved, and that he had a big part of. Uh, of course, he won those couple scudetti, but as a bench player, this was his first real trophy that he won on his own as one of the stars of the league. Um, and saying that, the same can't really be said for uh, his team back home in Italy. Juve Inter, that was the big match of the weekend. Derby d'Italia. Matt, uh, what did you think of that match? It was billed as a great match. Uh, it was more of a chess match, in my opinion. Didn't didn't really turn out uh, as I had expected. What did you think of the newest, latest round of Oh no, I definitely agree with you. I think you know the scoreline. Um, you know, it indicates that it for, for the for the for the fan that really wasn't watching the match or hasn't been following Serie A this past, this this uh, current season, it looked as though maybe it was a little bit of a letdown. But I think it was a very exciting game. I think, as you just mentioned, it was more of a chess match. It was really a um, you know there was a couple opportunities here and there, but I mean it was really a matter of both teams bending but not breaking at certain points. I think Handanovic was um sensational for Inter. Um I mean he like like time and time again, I think, you know, we, we often talk about uh Mauro Ricardi and Ivan Perisic and, and, and the like as being Inter's main guys. But I think over the past couple of years you can make a strong case for Handanovic being right there up there with those guys. Everything he provides in net to me, obviously, anyone who watches Serie A on a regular basis knows that Handanovic is one of the best keepers in Serie A, but I think it's time to go beyond that, and I think he really is one of the more underrated goalkeepers in Europe, and I think it's time that as Inter are showing their title contention aspirations this season, that soon can change, and I think looking opposite of him, it was kind of unfortunate that we weren't able to see Gianluigi Buffon uh, take part in this match. Of course, he had a calf injury, so he was ruled out and instepped uh, the Polish backstop, Wojciech Szczesny, who he made a couple, he saves himself, and you know he kind of stood his ground, and he, you know, he did what a backup keeper should do, and that's you know carry on the torch and make sure that everything goes 
according to plan and as it should. So again, for me, I think this was, you kind of expected, you know, maybe Icardi to kind of get on the score sheet, but he was really limited in this game. And I think that's really a testament to how good Juventus were defensively in the back. And I think that's kind of what the trend has been the past couple of weeks for them. I mean, you saw the week uh, week prior against Napoli, they were very organized in the back and they really didn't bend at all. Um, and this was kind of the same case. And I think, you know, when you saw Cardi, I think he was limited to something like maybe under 15 touches, which is pretty remarkable for a guy who really only needs one touch, two touches, maybe to leave his mark on a match. So overall, I think this match, you know, despite not having a score in this one with a lot of talent on the pitch, um, in Dybala, Icardi and the like, I think it was definitely an interesting match that fans should be looking at towards something that's going to be interesting to follow how it affects these teams moving forward throughout the season. I totally agree with you. From my point of view, I noticed that Juve went with a 4-3-3 to try to counter uh, Inter's wingers, choosing Mandzukic and Cuadrado over uh, not even fielding Dybala just uh, to give a to slow down those wingers, Perisic especially. Very dangerous. He's had a great season, great chemistry with Mauri Gardi, who was having a great, phenomenal year. And he always seems to score against Juventus as well. That's one of his favorite teams to to score against. I thought Mandzukic was played very well, but he did miss a couple of great chances uh, that he'll he probably regretted. For Juve, it was a very chippy affair, very physical, and Inter really cemented themselves as a contender for this Scudetto. I wasn't really sure of that initially because they, they've always had flashes but have fallen over the last few years. But after this game, the way they took it to Juve and they didn't back down, that really showed me that they're they're really in it to win it this year. Spalletti's done a great job and he's really smart and using uh, his weapons very effectively. Uh, Mattia Vecino and Borja Valero, two great pickups for Inter, very good in the midfield. I still can't believe they got him for practically for uh, the Spaniard Borja Valero for practically nothing. A great, great addition. He can control the midfield. It's just two teams neutralizing each other. Uh, Handanovic came up big. Uh, he has been one of the best goalies in Europe for a while, but because of Inter's struggles, hasn't really been uh, really noticed by uh, by many outside of Italy. But that was a game that he really announced himself internationally uh, to the, to those watching from around the world. And uh, for Juve, it's going to sting a little bit because this was a home game that they, if they were going to beat them, it would have been this game at home. To tie them in San Siro is one thing, but you really have to get the points this time around. And we'll see in the return fixture next year what happens because they could find themselves in a situation if they go deep in Europe. They'd have to play likely a semifinal if they get there in between, sandwiched in between uh, a Napoli and, and Inter fixtures, one at home, one away. It doesn't make it any easier, depending on where where Napoli is at that point. It doesn't seem like either of these two teams are going to let down, and it should be a three, even four-horse race, uh, a big game coming up against Roma on the 23rd, uh, and that could prove uh, costly if they don't get a win there next time around, uh, as the back half of the schedule is going to be really tough on Juve, depending on how, where they go in the Coppa Italia and in Europe. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about Juventus in Europe shortly with the Champions League draw. But from my perspective, it was a, it was an entertaining game. But I was really impressed with Inter, and uh, they're legit. So they could easily win the Scudetto as well. It's, it's so tight right now. That's what I love about this season. Such a tight race up at the top. And it's, it's just going to be uh, an entertaining game. Uh, as for the other fixtures, we saw 
really the top four not really move everything everyone standard pat uh, a couple of disappointing draws from the other contenders matt what did you think about napoli and roma tying their matches in, in games that they could have won you would ask most fans of those teams that you know they felt again it was a little bit of a disappointment just for the simple fact again as you just mentioned the actual fixtures themselves really worked in favor of those two big teams i mean roma tied Kievo. I mean, Kievo's been a very a pretty decent team overall. I think they're a team that's, um, yes, their record is kind of mi- like a mixed bag of results, but overall, they're a team that um, you know oftentimes is well coached and especially at home organized. And they really, um, they know, they're kind of finished in the middle of the pack pretty much every year. We find them in maybe um, between tenth and fourteenth every season. It seems like so. Again, you, they're a kind of they're not a pushover. They're a team at home who is capable of getting stealing points, and that's exactly what they did to Roma. And the same thing about Fiorentina. I think Fiorentina are, are a team that's kind of lingering. I mean, if you look at the Serie A table, you know, Fiorentina are ninth on 22 points, but, I mean, they're only two points back of Milan for seventh. So they're one of those teams where, you know, maybe if they catch form, they can kind of jump back into the Europa League conversation. But, again, I think, you know, most fans would agree, especially Napoli. I think this was a, a big match for them coming off the defeat to Juve that they really wanted to get back to winning ways and kind of put that pressure and perhaps even jump back up to the top of the table. But, again, they weren't able to do it. And you wonder if that had something to do with the, the Champions League fi- fixture midweek uh, versus Feyenoord. Who knows exactly, but... Yeah, I think you'll, if most most fans would agree that it was a little bit of a letdown in terms of what they could have done with that with their fixtures at hand. But you know, those teams will definitely agree that it's a missed opportunity. Oh, for sure, I uh, totally agree there against competition that they could have won. And historically, Napoli and Roma have dropped points in the past, but uh, this season they were looking as if it was a different season. Uh, it would be different this time around. They were on fire, both of them. Uh, and a little bit of a, a hiccup uh, for the last couple of weeks for Napoli as well. That loss to Juve, um, Roma's tie to Genoa. It could have been impacted as well on fatigue, like you mentioned with the Fire Nord match uh, and Roma's match midweek as well in the Champions League. Maybe they're just, uh, they put it all into Europe and then kind of thought it would be an easy, easy match for them this weekend. Uh, but this just entices uh, this race even further. So no one made up ground. It's still going to go down to the wire. You know, Christmas is coming up. I think after this grueling group stage for the three clubs involved, Juventus, Napoli, and Roma, I think they're kind of uh, looking forward toward that little break in, in the holidays. And we'll see. There's another big match again, uh, like I mentioned before, Juve-Roma, just before Christmas. So I think Roma, the Romanisti, and, and the Roma club themselves are looking forward to that match. That could be uh, a big match that could decide not necessarily Scudetto, but definitely heat up that race even further, considering Roma still have that game in hand. Anyone who follows me knows that I've been kind of a closeted Sampdoria fan this whole year, and they're in sixth right now um, with a game in hand, just like Roma and, and Lazio. And I think it's worth pointing out that they were even up 2-0 to Cagliari away and wound up squandering that, that lead, and they actually wound up drawing Cagliari. So Sampdoria must be... F- feeling that as though they missed the opportunity to really get an additional two points and kind of take advantage of the teams above them, you know, drawing and things like that. Because if they would have been able to win, we would have been looking at maybe a four-point gap between them and Lazio in fifth with a game in hand. So that's, again, it really puts into perspective just how 
magnified these certain things are with teams like Sampdoria, who, you know, yes, they have a lot of talent, but they're still a very young side. And if they really do want to, you know, qualify for the Europa League and kind of stay in the race until the very end, you can't drop those types of points. And I think they had one of those goals. I think, I don't know if you saw it. It was like straight out of FIFA 18, where the guy pretty much the goalkeeper was clearing it and he wound up kicking it at the defender, the opposing defender, and it wound up bouncing into the back of the net. And I mean, those are the things, again, if you're Sampdoria, you really can't let happen, especially when everyone else above you and below you are kind of either creeping up on you or not getting the full points in certain matches. So I just wanted to add that as well to the latest round of Serie A, despite it being more of a draw type of round of, of matches. Um, you know, that was you, that was one of the matches that I think, you know, some people tend to forget about because obviously it is Sampdoria and not everyone that like Inter, Napoli and Juve. Yeah, I did see that goal. It was, uh, it's definitely going to make the blooper reels uh, for sure. And I, I do agree with you uh, on the Sampdoria missed opportunity catch Lazio up there in fifth. I don't know if any of the, if the, if either Lazio or Sampdoria can catch Roma for fourth, but uh, it definitely would have helped uh, Sampdoria's case that way with Roma dropping points and the head to head between them in January and the makeup game. I think personally there we're looking at maybe a couple of tiers you're looking at the top four and then five and six and then seven through nine between milan torino fiorentina is one grouping lots of sampdoria battling it out for those europa league places and then the top four who could equally challenge for the scudetto as well as make the champions league uh from their four lauded spots Sampdoria have played very well i've really liked the brand of football that they play from their coach uh, marco giampalo I think they're a great, talented team, and I was surprised that they let up that lead to a Cagliari team who's likely to be safe, but isn't one of the better, is in the lower half of the table. Uh, another disappointment for, for myself as a Calabresa for Crotone, losing another game. They lost to Genoa, they, uh, the head-to-head, they lost to Sassuolo and Udinese as well. Those are all teams that were right above them, and they're inching closer to Spal, who tied Verona. So Crotone has really uh, missed, had some really missed opportunities to increase their lead over the relegated sides. They made that incredible run last year. That's very unlikely, especially now with their coach leaving the team. Uh, so they could be in the thick of the conversation of, rele- of relegation. Spal, Verona, Crotone, and Genoa, that's going to be another close battle to see who will uh, who will be out uh, and will be relegated to Serie B. So- and Benevento, who are kind of a formality at this point, so... Yeah, so unfortunately, it's, it's looking that way. And um, I mean, honestly, their their club is made out of Serie B and Serie uh, Chi third division players. Regardless, they're a great story. But, you know, that, that 95th minute highlight uh, header by the goalie aside, uh, I mean, I, they're they're pretty poor and they're uh, out there. So it's pretty much guaranteed that they're going to be out. But Spal, Verona, Crotone, Genoa, Sassuolo, that's pretty tight for those second and third last spots. Uh, so I, I think it's going to be great, not even just at the top, but at the bottom. We haven't seen very many tight races at either end of the table and said, yeah, for at least a decade now, this close. So these are things to keep in mind as well. Coppa Italia is back. Uh, I was back last week. And now the bigger teams are, are going to be playing this week. Uh, Lazio has a match against Cittadella, who is in Serie B coming up this over the next two weeks. Uh, we also have uh, Napoli-Udinese on December 19th. That's Napoli's debut game for this Coppa Italia season. Inter will play Bordenone. 
amongst other games that are coming in midweek. Uh, Lazio lost today. Uh, that was a big loss uh, against Torino. They could have inched closer to Roma, but uh, they missed that opportunity. And Lazio have been having a great season, but have been stumbling over the last month. So I think they're playing with Europe is catching up to them. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about them as well shortly with the Europa League draw as well that was today. Uh, some interesting matchups in, in that uh, tournament as well. Um, so Coppa Italia, again, uh, the typical pre-Christmas matches. Juventus Genoa uh, shouldn't be an issue for Juve, even with their with their bench. Atalanta Sassuolo uh, is the makeup game on that same day. And uh, Roma Torino, interesting match as well for, for the Giallo Rossi. What do you uh, think of Milan getting that big win against Bologna? Uh, a, a win that they suffered through. Uh, Gattuso's first win as coach of Milan. It uh, wasn't their best uh, display, but a win is a win uh, anyways. What can you make of that win, and how do you think they're looking heading into Christmas? I think it, the, the the victory or the entire match, rather, to, uh, it kind of told us a lot about Milan and Gattuso and this kind of side going forward. You know, with all these different changes at the post, the tactical changes, everything like that with the personnel and, and, and what have you. Um, you know, there was a lot of different headlines and narratives in this match coming in. You know, obviously, we know that Marco Tusa switched to a 4-4 in the back system using a 4-3-3, which early on showed promise. But I think, you know, a lot of people have been kind of praising it and calling it as the the answer to all of their problems. And I think that's a little bit far-fetched in my opinion i think there's a lot of different problems with this team i think it goes much further than tactics even which obviously you feel that it tactics uh, itself should solve some things but as we saw throughout the throughout the match you know they start bologna started to expose certain things with this 4-3-3 and i think Catuso did do a good job of you know pulling the right strings with regards to his substitutions he brought on silva um, you know, he brought on uh, Coutrone and, you know, and he, he kind of made some of the substitutions a little bit earlier than, you know, Montella would make. And some of the things that he was criticized for was his in-game management of this very thing. So overall, I mean, you know, Giacomo Buonaventura, it was nice to see him get a couple goals and really start to get back into the form that we all have come to know of him over the past few years. He's been Milan's, one of Milan's bright spots in a very dark period. And it was great to see him get a couple goals and really lift this team to a victory. I mean, three goals and assist in his last two games, it's, it's quite a bit for Bonaventure, who, you know, for whatever reason, really wasn't in the best of form throughout this entire season. So, it, again, I think the biggest thing for Milan going forward is, you know, there's going to be some results that are going to be sloppy, unconvincing, and with everything like that. But I think the biggest thing was Milan needed to get a home victory in front of their home fans, something to kind of build up, build off of. They remember, they haven't won prior to this match. They hadn't won at home since September 20th against Spal. I remember there was like two penalties in that game, if I'm correct. I think it was Kessier and Rodriguez scored penalties. So it kind of mm-hmm. gives you an idea of how far things have, how things have changed since then. So having Gattuso get his first victory and seeing the, the team rally around him, I think that was something that we haven't really seen since, you know, the first couple matches under... 
Inzaghi a couple of years ago, if you remember, you know, Milan got that hot start off under Inzaghi and the fan and they, the team really took to him. You know, I think it, at this point, Milan just need victories. They just need positive results, something to look at, you know, the round and the overall table and kind of say, okay, we've got a win here. Okay, now we got two wins in a row. We're, build, we're building some positive form. And I think at this point, that's really all you're looking for. In time, I hope that the overall style of play and the aesthetics of Gattuso's formation and everything like that does follow. But I think the biggest thing right now is for Milan to just get positive results any way they can and hope that as the season progresses and as we get into those last few months, they find themselves within striking distance where maybe they can you know, make a last-ditch last push towards the top four finish, which, again, I do think is, is unlikely in my opinion. But, hey, you never know. We've seen things happen in this league uh, many times, and the important thing is for them just kind of just put the pressure on and just win games and see where they are. Totally agree. And I do, for the record, believe that Milan can catch that fourth spot if they go on a run. It'll be it'll be tough, but this win is something nice to build on. It's good to see them winning, and uh, hopefully they can build up on that. It's going to take some time for them to get used to that new system. And uh, Gattuso's really got to just figure out his formation. There could be several modules he could use, but I here's hoping that he finds one and uses it consistently and uh, that we see some see the potential that this team, uh, this big money team, has uh, put together on the on the field, and that we can see them play at their full potential because that would be great uh, for the league and for neutrals watching. This is the Italian Football Daily podcast uh, with Joe Siracco and Matt Santangelo. So, Matt, let's get right into uh, Europe. We had the uh, European draws for both the Champions League and the Europa League. Uh, let's begin with the Champions League, the big one. A lot of interesting matches. For the first time in maybe forever, the Italian teams finally got a favorable draw. Uh, Juventus will face Tottenham. The surprising Tottenham who won their group uh, in a group with Dortmund and Real Madrid and who have been really tough to play at Wembley Stadium. They're looking decent in the league as well. Uh, and they've got some really uh, talented young players on their team against Juve, the finalists from last year. Seven, uh, six time, seven. I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, six time <laughs> Serie A champions. I'll give my opinion in a second, but Matt, what do you think of that uh, result for Juve? Uh, do you think it's favorable? Do you think Tottenham could uh, place an, uh, an upset? So far, from what I've read and heard in the British media, they believe that they can beat Juve, but I think that's a bit of a stretch. What about you? I think if you're a Juventus fan, I think I think you have to feel. I know you know, despite their their past couple seasons with regards to how things ended in the final, I think, you know, Juventus fans really need to just be optimistic and kind of trust that they have the experience, the talent, and the obviously the coaching uh, ability with Allegri to advance and to really get make another deep run in the Champions League. Obviously, on paper, this looks to be one of the more exciting matchups. Obviously, there are some other... Uh, appetizing ones in Real Madrid and Paris Saint-Germain, which is probably the biggest one if you really look at uh, the two sides. But um, Juventus-Tottenham as a neutral, looking at this, this, uh, this draw for Juventus, I think, I think certainly it's a, very, it's a tricky one, um, just for the simple reason that, you know, you obviously Tottenham top to bottom, I think in all aspects of, of football, um, they're one of the more stronger teams remaining, in my opinion. I think they have a very good coach in Mauricio Pochettino, who um, was tremendous last year, and he was actually the subject of um, big moves to some of the top clubs this past summer who were looking for managers. 
Um, you know, obviously they got Harry Kane, they got Christian Eriksen, um, you know, so they got some names there that can really, you know, decide matches. And I think that's what you really look for in this tournament, right? Those star names who can, you know, maybe with one touch or one individual moment of brilliance decide a match or maybe even a, a tie. So I think for if you're Juventus looking more on, you know, on the Italian team side of things, I think Juventus have to like their chances of advancing. I think it'll definitely be a tight one. I think, you know, Tottenham are certainly no pushover. They're a very good team. And I think, as you just mentioned, anytime you top a group um, above, uh, anytime you top a group, excuse me, that includes Real Madrid, I mean, that says something about how good of a team you are. Um, now, listen, Real Madrid haven't been playing that well this year, but I think, you know, it says a lot about Tottenham's ability to take advantage of that and take care of their own business instead of relying on others. So overall, I think um, Juventus, I like, I think Juventus will advance from this tie, but at the same time, because I do think Juventus, despite, you know, a couple recent results, obviously the victory over Napoli and even the draw to Inter, they haven't been, I mean, you can probably agree with me on this, they haven't really played to their level of, the level of expectation most people had of them. I think that sometimes often, hap- often happens quite a bit with Juventus under Allegri, and Allegri's even said something, you know, early on he actually said that there's really two seasons within a season. Uh, and he's always pretty much said that, you know, we tend to play the best in that second season post-January, January through May or March or February, March through May. So um, that's something that we can kind of see come up and come up here in this match. And I think that can be something that can really work in Juventus's favor because despite maybe not playing their best football overall up until this point, despite what, you know, the table indicates, I think Juventus have the capability to take that game to the next level, and you're kind of seeing it with certain individuals on the team, and they could be a problem for Tottenham and ultimately handle Tottenham. I mean, they have the ability to do it, but again, it's just really be a matter of you know how Tottenham perform um, on the road, and I think that could be ultimately the difference in this one. I definitely, definitely agree with you there. Uh, I agree with you 100% where Juve has not played to their potential. They really haven't, and they historically they really – they haven't really in the first half of the season, like you mentioned, uh, but we've seen them go on that those second half runs from January onward, whether both in the league and in Europe. So I'm expecting them to really hit their form by February. Uh, by mid-February, they should be uh, have a set formation and everyone should be informed by then. Of course, there could be some moves in the transfer window that could uh, help them out. Tottenham... Uh, a very impressive team. Uh, they ran Madrid right out of the park at Wembley uh, and really outclassed them in that game and really fought them tooth and nail in, uh, in the Bernabeu, which is really impressive. Uh, but ultimately, I think it'll be decided. Uh, the first home match against uh, in in Torino will will decide the tie. I don't think they can beat uh, Juve uh, in the event in Alliance Stadium uh, just because they're just so... Uh, it's almost they're almost unbeatable uh, there, and at Wembley it'll be a tough place to play for Juve, but I think they'll they'll manage to at least tie. Um, so it'll they'll definitely give them a run for their money, but I think Juve ultimately will uh, advance. And saying that, uh, I do believe Roma, who has been paired with Shakhtar Donetsk of Ukraine, will advance as well. Uh, although Shakhtar did uh, beat Napoli uh, shockingly and uh, pretty much ended up ended their European run, uh, they're not a bad team. But Roma really impressed against Chelsea uh, in those two games, uh, Sanford Bridge, they, which they could have won, and then really just outclassing them at, uh, in the Olimpico. 
Uh, I think that Roma should get by. This is probably their best. Uh, this was the best uh, scenario for them. And a run to the quarterfinals should be expected. I think now the conversation is turning in Rome. Uh, Monkey and, and De Rossi and, and Eusebio uh, Di Francesco have said that we don't want uh, these these wins against the big teams like Chelsea to come as a surprise. We want them to happen more often. And getting to the quarterfinals, even though they may not advance further, would be a huge achievement for a team that has historically choked in Europe. And I think this is a good step for them as a team, for their brand, uh, and for the league as well. Uh, Matt, uh, thoughts on the Shakhtar and uh, Roma draw? I know. I think you hit everything on the head, Joe. I think the one thing about this match that um, I've I've kind of mentioned it quite often on Twitter today. I've been I, ever since I saw the, the the draw. For some reason, this match kind of drew my got my attention. Um, just for the simple fact, I think that Shakhtar, um, you know, on paper, um, they don't look like a powerhouse team, but I think. They're such a well-coached team, and they really have that relaxed um, environment through their coach, Paolo Fonseca, that I think that can really drive them in this tournament in a similar way that we've seen in the past with other teams. You know, obviously, you know, maybe they don't have the on paper the talent of certain of some of these these top clubs. You know, obviously Paris Saint Germain, Juventus. I mean, the list goes on and on. But I think they are one of those teams where if you're not careful. Because going to Ukraine is a very difficult task. You can just ask Napoli that that same thing. I believe they lost two one in the first um, the first match between them in the group stages with uh, with Shakhtar. Um, it's not an easy place to travel, and if you're not careful, they can kind of be there. Can be one of those teams that kind of barely beats you, maybe beats you on away goals or anything like that, and finds themselves in the um, in the quarterfinals. So. Um, I do think Roma will advance. I think, you know, Roma have shown in the group stages with Di Francesco um, and Jacko and, and some of the other performers on their team that, um, you know, they're not, a, they're not a team that's kind of, I mean, let's face it, some people didn't even pick them to advance out of that group with Atletico Madrid and Chelsea. Um, they topped the group and they did it in a way that kind of turned some heads. So uh, I just think Roma do need to be, be humble they need to be but they also do need to be careful in that you know they're they got some time they got some time in between these matches to kind of think this one think this one through um things could change in terms of the transfer market you know injuries and things like that so um right now as as it stands as speaking today i think roma will advance out of this tie i think it'll be a little bit closer than some people may initially expect it to be Obviously, I think Roma have they have the, quite a bit of attacking talent, and they look overall very strong this year under Di Francesco. But Shakhtar are not a team to sleep on, and I think Roma just better be careful. And I think under Di Francesco, they will. I don't think they'll take um, take them lightly, and which is what the approach should be in this one. So, um, yeah, we could wind up seeing two Italian teams in the in the final eight, which would be pretty something special for uh, Serie A's brand. And for sure, and we haven't seen that in in a long time. I think. Uh about 10 years uh yeah. since then uh maybe the 07 06 07 season i believe with inter and and milan so it'd be great to see for sure to have uh the coefficient go up which it has this season but uh i'd love to catch england and the premier league in that coefficient uh, and speaking of the coefficient um the europa league has the same weight in that coefficient and there are three italian beg your pardon four italian clubs uh, competing uh, for uh, in the round of 32, 
which will be played in February. Uh, Matt, we'll start with uh, Milan. Uh, they have been drawn with Ludogrets of Bulgaria. Um, how do you see that fixture playing out for Milan, uh, especially considering that this could be Milan's chance, only chance to get into Champions League football by having a, a big run and winning the tournament? Um, I mean, I think, you know, listen, you know, well, let's be honest. I think it obviously could have been way worse for them looking at some of the other teams um, in this tournament that have fallen in because of what they obviously were unable to do in the Champions League. You're looking at Dortmund. You're looking at Atletico Madrid. You're looking at Napoli, uh, Leipzig. You're looking at some strong Arsenal. I mean, not Arsenal, excuse me. They were in the Europa League. But th there's a lot of quality teams that have fallen into this tournament and now honestly poses a threat to maybe even win the tournament. And you're looking at Dortmund against Atalanta. I mean, they've Milan very well could have drawn a team of that caliber and it would have been very difficult, um, you know, to advance past them. But if you're a Milan fan, you know, you got to, based on how they've been playing in the Europa league, they topped their group. Of course, um, you got to like the draw just for the simple fact that um, there are some time in between, obviously, this draw and the actual game itself. So they should hopefully have everything, or at least most of the, the um, kinks ironed out. The honeymoon phase of, of Gattuso should be over with, and hopefully everything is kind of going smoothly with him with regards to him managing the team. Um, but having said that, I think this tournament, look, I think this tournament's kind of that really tricky you know, competition in that you really just never know, right? Especially with Milan this year, you you just never know what type of team's going to show up. I mean, yes, they they topped their group, but there were some so there were some results in that group that really weren't that convincing against Athens, against you know the, obviously the losses past last week two zero away. Yes, they played mostly um, a lot of bench players and a lot of backups, but again, I think. You know, you really have to make sure that you do come to play in these matches because teams like Luda Goretz and some of the other teams in this tournament, when they see these these high profile names, they they know that it's going to be difficult, but they know that they can go out there and play their match because they have nothing to lose. And I think that could be a certain case with Milan in this tie that they got to be careful and they got to make sure they come to play. Otherwise, it can be a, a very rocky, uh, you know situation for them and something that could possibly even mean them falling out of the tournament so um that's just kind of my take on milan i think they should i mean they should advance i think they got plenty of talent to get past them but again i don't like to assume anything with these games and this is one of the reasons why again teams have nothing to lose and on any given match day they can come to play and spoil the fun so it's gonna be interesting definitely uh i do see uh milan advancing through this uh draw this fixture uh, simply because by then I do uh, expect them to at least have some sort of chemistry, some sort of form, uh, good enough to beat a team. With all due respect to Ludogrets, um, uh, they should be able to handily beat them, uh, regardless of what formation that Milan puts out. Uh, Dortmund and Atalanta is a very intriguing uh, tie. I, I feel Atalanta, sorry. For they've been getting, yeah, they've been getting, I tell you, you're going to mention it. They've been getting a very difficult draw. They were drawn in the, the toughest group with Lyon and Everton, they actually wound up topping that group. And now they go into the next round and they wound up getting one of the teams that kind of fell in from the Champions League. And Dortmund, again, although they've struggled this year, I think they're firing their coach, um, if I'm correct in saying that. They're still a team that has some big names and some quality players, Christian Pulisic, uh, Pierre Mokobamiang. So, you know, I'm sorry, I don't want to interrupt, but... 
Uh, no, I, of course. Uh, to that point, uh, I was going to say that Atalanta, and, uh, poor Atalanta, that you know they've been uh, drawn in the most difficult, the most difficult group, and now the most difficult tie. But in their group stage, they were so impressive. They really impressed me. They didn't look out of place at all. Um, I believe they're eleventh or twelfth right now on the table in Serie A, and they didn't look like that at all by really outclassing Everton and embarrassing them, and then going head to head with Lyon, who's, who's a pretty good team. Uh, and beating them twice, or tying, drawing them, and then beating them. So good on them. Uh, I actually predicted Atalanta will get by Dortmund. Uh, I'm going to be make that goal, bold prediction uh, just because uh, Gian Piero uh, Gasperini is doing such a great job with with that team. Some hungry young players who will give their their all in that game. Dortmund, they've got some great players. Uh, they just fired their coach or will be uh, sacking him this week. So they very well could be by then. They could be on a tear uh, just because of their talent. But uh, I think Atalanta, they're not in a bad spot. I think they've got them right where they want them. And I think they can actually, if if not advance, really give Dorman a, a run for their money. But it'll be interesting to see them. And, and the well-traveling uh, uh, Dea fans uh, from Bergamo who will, will make the trip up to the Welfinch Stadion uh, in Dortmund. Uh, going down for Napoli and Leipzig. That's a pretty good matchup. Good Leip- Leipzig uh, shocked everyone by finishing runner-up in the Bundesliga last year, and they've still got some good, uh, some solid players. Um, they they were drawn in a very weak Champions League group and could take advantage of it, but I think that's more for the the rookie uh, status, their first ever European tournament. Uh, Napoli on paper they should win. But Napoli has said publicly and uh, that they don't they don't care for Europe. They want the Scudetto. So uh, it, I I expect them to just underperform in that game. And Leipzig it could go either way. Leipzig could very well beat them because I I feel like they will be the the hungrier team in the two. Unfortunately, Napoli for whatever reason, and I've I've been very critical about them uh, on why they they refuse to, to they want to really put it in all into the Scudetto, but. There are bigger things at hand here. You should really go for, if I if I'm uh, Aurelio de uh, de Laurentiis, I would motivate these guys to win to win every game, uh, no matter what. It could be a, a youth tournament. It could be a preseason game. I want I would want them to win every single game. So I really hope they they actually try, and that um, they actually put on a good show in advance because they should uh, they should be winning these games regardless of where they are in the standings in the in the season. They should be winning. Napoli fans should expect a win, uh, and Napoli should go far in this tournament uh, on paper. So, uh, I think they'll still squeak through. And as for Lazio uh, against uh, Stawar Bucharest, uh, that could go either way. Uh, Stawar had uh, won their group just like Lazio, but they were in a better round of form. Lazio kind of slowed down a little bit towards the end. Uh, but I think, depending on again how much effort they want to put into this game. Uh, Lazio should advance, but we never know with these teams in Europe, uh, in the Europa League, who give it their all every time they face a team from England or Germany or Italy or Spain. So I do predict, uh, for myself, four for four, that all four teams will advance in in the Europa League, and both Italian clubs remaining in Champions League will be uh, advancing. That's my prediction. And it w- wouldn't it be wonderful to see six of six teams? Still in the uh, in the latter stages of, of of these tournaments, it would be great to see. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think um, you know 
despite everyone's allegiances to their own respective teams, I think it'll look good for Serie A's brand overall to see, you know, these teams, um, all the six Italian teams that were in, in Europe in Europe this year advance and continue their journey, um, you know, deep into these tournaments. I think it'll look good for, for Serie A's brand this year and it'll kind of give, um, you know, outsiders who are not, you know, following the Serie A on a week-in, week-out basis like we are, the indication, okay, maybe, you know, maybe Serie A is, in fact, on the rise once again. Um, and it is a league that we should take notice of as being back, essentially, I think. You know, obviously, people who watch Serie A know that over the past couple of years, Serie A, despite Juventus being, you know, the consensus number one team, um, it's been a very close, closely contested um, top top of the table or top, you know, top six, top seven teams. Um, and I think, you know, again, as you just mentioned, having these six teams advance will, would give um, Italian Calcio a good look um, this year, especially if they're able to beat, you know, one of the bigger teams, as you just mentioned, with, um, with Tottenham. You know, you, anytime you advance past an English team, obviously, it's going to be big in the media. And I think that would be something that could be uh, big for Juventus and, again, overall uh, Serie A as a brand. And uh, we desperately need uh, a rebranding uh, for Serie A. Who have taken a hit the last few years, but it's it's a it's a league like you and I uh, know this map because we watch it every week. But a lot of a lot of neutrals uh, are very skeptical on Serie A still, especially with Italy not making the World Cup. Uh, they're very there's still though that notion that uh, it's not as good a league as as England or Spain. Uh, or the Bundesliga, but I think we've surpassed the Bundesliga this year, uh, coefficient-wise we have, but also the fact that three Bundesliga teams in the Europa League finished dead last in their group, um, where in the past they would they would go into the quarterfinals easily. So that's kind of a change, a switch. I'm no expert in, in German football, but the fact that Bayern Munich is basically using the league as a feeder, uh, as a farm system, is not really really good for the league. And uh, I think that the Serie A finally has become competitive, whereas Juve would just dominate and it wouldn't even be close. Now it's it could go; it, it's a four horse race, and uh, it's it's really exciting to see. But we, again, people won't know this unless they make a splash in Europe, uh, where the international uh, aura kind of resonates, and where we'll see more people watching. And that's the only way that people will be able to see uh, Napoli's great, fast moving. Um, Sadrismo, as they call it, that uh, quick triangle passes and that beautiful football that they play. The only way they're going to show it is not against uh, a, a Benevento or a 6 0 thrashing in Serie A, but they're going to be looking at this game against Leipzig and say, okay, Napoli, you're top of the group, but what can you do? You're top of Serie A, but I don't get it. You're not, you're not playing to that level. They didn't make it past the group stage. How can they be first in Serie A? Uh, so they must not be good. So that's definitely not the case, but these teams have to show the show it on a on a global stage uh, how good they are. Because for many people, and we I and we know this from the ratings, at least here in North America, Serie A is not very well watched. It's just above the French league, um, which is a shame. But it, it can increase. But we have to get our teams playing better in Europe. And even though, despite uh, my personal allegiances to Juventus, I want all the Italian teams to succeed and uh, just help our league out uh, on the international stage. Oh yeah. hundred percent agree with you, but let's see, let's see what things, let's see how things unfold 
um, you know, over the next couple of months with regards to the Serie A and the table and everything like that. Um, real quick, I mean, it's also worth mentioning that uh, I don't think it's going to get much attention, but there's some sort of uh, some special things happening in the in the Serie B, which I think we'll probably get into at in a later podcast and have a guest, one of a special guests on, in Kevin Nolan. Um, I don't know if many of you guys are familiar with him, but he's one of the guys that is very closely monitoring the lower tiers of Italian football. And I think, you know, that's also something that's very interesting to see um, that many people don't talk about the competitive nature of the second divisions and the third divisions of certain leagues. And I think that's also kind of goes hand in hand. What you were just saying, Joe, is that you want the, you want your league to be well represented and to look strong overall. And I think, you know, if you have teams that can, you know, creep up in the second divisions and things like that and make a statement, you know, like the Sassuolos of the past who have kind of creeped up and made, you know, more than a name for themselves in its first division, that'll only pr- further solidify, um, you know, the brand of football that Italy's trying to produce, um, you know, in the, in the next year or so. Definitely, and I'm very much looking forward to uh, to Kevin's points. Uh, if you if you don't know Kevin, uh, you can follow him on Twitter. Uh, he is a uh, our resident Serie B expert who knows it all about uh, the second and third division. Uh, and to your point, Matt, I would definitely love to see a Leipzig type story in Serie at some point. Um, here's hoping that we we get a Leipzig instead of a Benevento for the next time. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so saying going into saying that, uh, let's move on to uh, the next week's fixtures in Serie A. Um, Matt, is there a game that stands out to you uh, this upcoming weekend? Um, let me see. Uh, let me take a look at this real quick. Okay, I'm sorry. Maybe it's slightly unprepared, but uh, just bear with me over here. Um, read off some of the ones and I'll I'll give you my... My, sure. My take on uh, sure. Uh, so this week is not. It's. I wouldn't say there's a sexy game out there. Um, Atalanta Lazio will be should be a good entertaining game between two um, good teams. Uh, even though Atalanta is mid table, uh, their front of form in Europe should just shows us uh, shows everyone just how good they can be. And Lazio again are having a great season. So two clubs that who knows they could meet in the Europa League. Uh, this season as well. Um, that's one match that I'm really keeping my eyes on. And and yourself, Matt, you you do love Atalanta and Lazio as well. You've had a lot of good things to say about them this year. Um, Milan and Ver- uh, Hellas Verona and Milan. So a game that uh, well, you'd, you'd hope that they win, but again, uh, we're not, we don't know. Um, it's the early game, uh, uh, so it'll be. Uh, very early kickoff. Depending where you are, you'll be waking up pretty early in the morning for that one. And Bologna, Juve, uh, formality. They should they should win uh, that the, match um, there. I think one of the bigger ones to closely watch in this this round is um, Inter Udinese. I think obviously Inter remain unbeaten um, and they're they look strong. They're stronger than they have at any point over the past couple of years. But um, you know this could be a match where you know. Again, if Inter um, are not up, you know they're not careful. You know, maybe based on Udinese's form under Massimo Odo, that they could perhaps maybe you know steal a point. You know whether it be you know a late goal or or whatever. I think that's a a match, a very interesting match, and I think you know it's it's more so on 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 because of 
because of Odo and everything he's been able to accomplish since stepping in as manager. He's kind of, you know, they're scoring goals, they're, they're winning games, and they look like a pretty formidable side um, once again. But, I mean, again, it's that's one of the ones, again, as you just mentioned, There's really, it's a kind of a lighter schedule. There's really not many big uh, marquee matchups that we've seen over the past couple weeks with, you know, Juve Inter and Napoli Juve and things like that. But, um, yeah, you can I mean, I think, you know, you could always find a little bit of, uh, you know, type of uh, diamond in the rough in some of these matches. And I think that could be possibly one match to watch for um, in an otherwise pretty slim um, round of Serie A football. In years past, I would uh, I would have said the Inter-Udinese game would be a trap game for Inter. Uh, mm-hmm. On uh, it, it could have been a game that they could easily tied or even lost at San Siro. But the way they're playing this year, um, it doesn't seem like they're going to have those games. Uh, they might or the odd time, but uh, I think that they they should win. In the way that their mentality is, the way Spalletti has them coached, and the way they're the, the form that they're in, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if. And despite Udinese having a rebirth under Massimo Odo, um, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if Inter uh, wins convincingly in this game. Um, but again, it'll be a good test for Udinese. Um, a draw would be great for them to get a, to have some security, some safety from that relegation zone that they were flirting with earlier this season. Uh, Torino Napoli as well. Um, uh, Torino Napoli uh, is a uh, is a game that uh, could go either way. For um, Torino could win, but I think uh, Napoli should should win. Yeah, I think I, you know, obviously Torino are home, and I think they had a pretty good result today. Obviously, they beat Lazio, I believe, 3-1. But yeah, that could be something where, you know, maybe, who knows, maybe Belotti kind of breaks out and and starts scoring again, and that you never know if something like that happens. He has the ability to take over games. He hasn't really done it this year, mostly because of injuries and things like that. But again, you never know with, with Serie A. That's why you have to watch week in and week out and really kind of take a, take a close look at some of these matches because, again, you never know when teams are going to slip up or when teams are going to rise to the occasion and really spoil the party for those above them. So I think, again, the couple of the ones that we did mention um, have a slight chance that they maybe could go against what most people expect. But I think, as you just pointed out, I think most of these fixtures for the bigger teams, they're kind of um, – pretty predictable in my opinion um and i think they probably should if all things align they should go according to plan for sure uh, um and so before we wrap up our uh, our podcast here at italian football daily um i just wanted to personally thank and congratulate uh toronto fc for winning uh especially a big shout out to sebastian jovinko former parma and juventus player in Serie, uh who finally got his uh, trophy and his moment after having so many individual successes in MLS, uh, that he finally was able to help his team bring home uh, a championship in a in a uh, in a game in the rematch of last year's final against a, a decent Seattle team. Uh, Matt, did you have a chance to to watch the MLS Cup final? I did actually, and it was it was very exciting. I think it was it had all the makings. It looks it looked pretty similar to last year's final, but obviously the outcome, to your delight, was much different. Obviously, last year, Seattle Sounders won on the back of a, um, a Stefan Frey masterclass in net with a, you know, a couple spectacular saves. And he actually had some of those same type of uh, 
level of saves in this one, but um, it was it was Altador and it was Vasquez and Toronto FC as a whole that were able to prevail and ultimately um, get their redemption, which I think was was so big going in, you know, throughout the entire play, MLS Cup playoffs. Right? We looked so much at the teams and how things were going to shape up going into the final. Obviously, most people expected Toronto FC to get to the final. Um, they really weren't. But the Western Conference has been a little bit of a mixed bag this year with regards to who is standing out, who is the favorite, who is a kind of a contender, who's a dark horse, everything like that. And sure enough, it wound up being a repeat, which I think Toronto FC fans wanted. I mean, you're a Toronto FC fan. You've covered them extensively throughout the entire year for Italian football daily. I think this was the matchup you really wanted to see because you wanted to get that redemption after last year's heartbreak. And I think what better way for Toronto FC to do it is against the team they lost to last year and doing it in this fashion and finally being able to complete, um, you know, get, get that domestic treble for the first time in MLS history. I mean, it was a spectacular year for Toronto FC. Um, you know, Giovinco maybe didn't put up the same, I mean, he had a fantastic year, don't get me wrong, but he maybe didn't put up the same, uh, you know, numbers that he did in the years past with Toronto FC. But if you'd ask him, he'll take these, these trophies over any individual achievements 10 out of 10 times. And I think, obviously, as you just mentioned, to see him at the center of this project over the past couple of years in Toronto to finally give them the cup. I mean, it's, it's, it was pretty, it was, it was something special to say the least. And again, I think, you know, seeing Toronto FC win, win the cup was um, expected, but it was, you know, again, you never know in, in football, anything can happen. And I think it was great to see Giovinco and Toronto FC and the city get their, their cup. And, um, you know, obviously I know you said you weren't at the parade, but from the looks I saw on Twitter and, and Facebook and everything like that, it was a very live atmosphere and it just goes to show you just how passionate um, they are about about uh, soccer in, in Toronto. Yeah, and uh, what made it more impressive this year was that they actually played uh, the right way. Uh, right. Uh, they played um, with short passes, exploiting spaces. Um, it's very technical and, and tactically intelligent. And shout out to Greg Vanny, who uh, is coach of the year and has done such a great job managing his players. And uh, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. I wouldn't be surprised if he one day becomes the U.S. men's national team head coach, being able to deal with guys who have played, like Sebastian Jovinko, played in Serie A, Victor Vasquez, who have who has played in La Liga and in, in Belgium, uh, to manage guys like that, as well as uh, Josie Altador and Michael Bradley, who have played around the world and who are uh, the stars of the team. He was, he was able to manage them all cohesively uh, in a determined and focus group from day one. Um, so kudos to him as well. Great up and coming coach. Um, again, good for Jovinko to, to win it. Uh, again, Toronto FC played the type of style that a type of play that uh, MLS has been begging for. Uh, some MLS teams, I mean, especially in the early years, I mean, it was, it was pretty brutal to watch, but uh, this is, it's an evolution now. And I think uh, Toronto FC has become a model franchise uh, they were the model franchise in 2000, 2007 when they came in for what a team, what the league wants for their fans, how lively they were in the stands. Obviously, their their pitch performance on the pitch uh, was was brutal, but now they've got that both in the stands and on the field, and it's great to see that, and I, I hope that more MLS teams kind of play that style. Um, passing and technicals, uh, technical skill is, is a, a focal point for for the clubs now, instead of just hoofing it downfield like they used to do uh, back in the day, 
we've seen great football from Atlanta FC United. Uh, and our editor, Alex Mashidi, can attest to that, where he's watched them live in that beautiful venue that they have at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium with 70,000 people, and they play a very good brand of, of football with Tata Martinez, uh, Tata Martino, um, uh, as their coach, and with LAFC coming in next year with Carlos Vela and uh, the Mexican influence, uh, Central American influence, that should be a, a fun team to watch as well. So I think the league, and Matt, you've covered games for for the Red Bulls and, and New York City FC as well. Uh, so you know this uh, just as uh, um, just as well as I do that MLS is an up and coming league, um, and that I'd, we, it's it's definitely more entertaining. And I think they're gaining some respect in the European circles. Uh, we're not there yet, but uh, slowly but surely, uh, for a league that's only twenty years old, it's come a long way. And uh, with that, uh, we're going to close off uh, this edition of the podcast. Uh, for myself, uh, Joe Siraco, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Joe Antonio C. And for Matt Santangelo, uh, you can follow him as well uh, at Matt underscore Santangelo. And of course, uh, follow us on our main Twitter channel uh, at Italian FD. Uh, so for myself and Matt, thank you very much for listening. And uh, we'll see you next time in the wonderful world of Gaucho. Thank you.